Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Same as you. Welcome to the Bureau of Citizen Detectives, the officially unofficial podcast for Yellow Jackets on Showtime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back with another uh, Two Truths and a Lie. Uh, Aaron, this time the lie is that we have no feedback. This is true. I don't know what the truths are. We'll see if we can discover them in the, this year feedback edition. Yellow Jackets at baldmove.com is how you send stuff in for consideration on these uh, podcasts. Like I said, I, I'm not sure we'll do one every week. We'll fit them in as we can. Clearly, there's we have a lot to talk about each episode, and you guys do too, mm-hmm. so we'll try to make it work as best we can. Yellowjacketsabaldmove.com. Melanie was up first. In fact, she sent this email eight days ago, so it was before the latest round of revelations. Revelations? Revelations. Christ. Uh, Yeah, revelations by Christ. That's how it worked out. Um, Mm -hmm. Melanie says, discussion about Lottie being evil or possessed or working for good made me think about Travis's death and what Lottie did and didn't say. Putting aside all the supernatural versus rational aspects of the actual death, I want to know why Travis would give her his bank account information. Lottie has money, and Travis was portrayed as not having a lot, so why would Travis, who had no intention of staying dead, give Lottie the information she needed to drain his account? Does it make any sense? Uh, She also said she had a message Mm -hmm. from Travis for Nat that they showed him writing to tell Nat she was right. Note, did I miss something, or has Lottie still not told Nat what she was right about? So that's you did did miss that because you sent this from the past. But uh, uh, I want to talk about the draining of the bank account here. Interesting. Yeah. Does this imply that Travis was about to join her cult? Because it's a standard. So it's Uh standard operating procedure to do this. Yeah. And that implies a hell of a lot more of a relationship than we got from Lottie's story yeah yeah I agree like either like I I wonder do do we know when she drained the account was it like months before he committed was it like the night of was it like I don't know exactly are are you headed down the trail of like maybe he joined a long time ago and she he killed herself and like Lottie's trying to like bury that because it would look bad for her honey cult I don't know I, I don't I don't yeah. know what I'm trying to formulate here I just want to be like the obvious implication unless you want to say that because you're right Melanie it doesn't make sense for her to steal it doesn't look like she needs this money sure, um, sure the obvious implication that's not her just just swindling Travis is that he intended to join her cult and that's one of the rules so yeah or had joined the cult at some time in the past and she just happened to have this his his information laying around he never changed his bank account information that kind her of stuff. draining it again you know that would be that'd be that'd be weird yeah when does the draining happen i imagine it's day one right like you get your purple costume we drain your bank account and then you start doing yoga or something 
Yeah. Maybe they have addressed this in the show and someone will let us know in a future feedback episode. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I, I make that of what you will. Like it gives a couple of, you know, sinister motivations. Like maybe she's trying to cover up a death to uh, try to, you know, because like. I, I think a plain reading is she attempted to cover up the death. Now, she had like, you know, good reasons for that, that she 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 tried to articulate the gnat. But it could also just be, oh, my God, it's be very a former patient of mine killing themselves would be very embarrassing. Mm hmm. Uh, Melanie adds the jab that hallucination Natalie made to Lottie in her death dream was a reference to the confessions they made to each other in episode two after the crash. Lottie tells everyone she steals stuff from TJ Maxx and returns it and has accumulated thousands of dollars in TJ Maxx bucks, which I remember because it's absolutely hilarious. Um, so there you go. It is. Right. It was public information. Mm hmm. James from Oregon, uh, can you explain why the Purple People Club used the name Charlotte? When did Lottie change her name and how did that happen? I feel like I missed a scene somewhere. Nat goes along with it, so she must already know. I, I had assume this that's her full name? I... Well, right. I, I had this exact same problem, and then I looked it up. Lottie is a, a nickname for Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. Lots, Lottie. So her her high school friends apparently call her Lottie. And all of her adult friends call her Charlotte, you know, mm -hmm. so same, same. It's it's yeah, it's like uh, John, Jack, Jane, you know, all that kind of stuff. I have never heard the nickname Lottie for Charlotte. I could definitely hear find Charlie as a nickname for Charlotte, but it has to because like I've, I've known a bunch of Lotties, but like what else would it be short for? Really? God, I've never I've never known a Lottie. I, I guess I should have known, but I've known a few. There is a one or two I can think of in school and they had to be Charlotte's. So, uh -huh. um, or something else that ends in lot, like what, what, or has lot in it. Uh, can you just name a kid Lottie? Yeah, you name a kid whatever you want. Name Ask a kid Elon buddy? Musk Jr. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. XAE 17 mm -hmm. solve for pie. Uh, Tracy <laughs> says, Is there any chance Jay is Javi or a friend of Javi's? Possibly. He seems to have it out for Shauna in a personal way. I've seen this rumor or this theory floated around. I don't like Jay, especially Jay, because they don't look anything alike. You could maybe say, who's Jay's partner? Kevin. I've seen the theory that Kevin is Javi, but like, I still don't see that as plausible. How the well, hell would Kevin's they? Kevin's Kevin, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like these people, like we're dealing with people who've known each other for their entire lives. It'd be hard for Javi. And I thought to... we saw flashbacks of like actual Kevin. I don't I so, do. You know, like I said, I only rewatched the last three or four episodes of season one. You watch, so I'll, I'll defer to your your call on that. But like, yeah, I don't I don't find these things persuasive. I would need to see a logical yeah. chain of evidence laid out about how Jay got facial reconstruction and skin bleaching and whatever. Because yeah, I I I don't I don't buy it, Tracy. Sorry. Tony says, "Where is Sammy?" <laughs> this is a good question. Did somebody even get the little hmm. the, the poor little kid from school? Not one word was mentioned about him. Just a little shot of him in episode no. three where we see him at his mom's bedside in the hospital when it shows Ty's wife sitting up asking, is this what you wanted? And then it shows Tia waking up, so it seemed like that wasn't even real. This is a very damn good question. What the hell is happening in Ty's life when she's going on this little jaunt to see Val? Or I'm not sorry, not Val, uh, Van. I couldn't tell you. One of her moms is in the hospital. Her other mom is gone, just in the wind. 
she's a public figure. Uh-huh. She stole her assistant's car. And Senator-elect. left it at the side of the road in the middle of Ohio. And she abandoned their very young dependent child. As his mother is fighting for her life in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's with social services now. He's in an orphanage somewhere because his parents aren't there. I mean, clearly the show hasn't forgot about Sammy, so I'm assuming that this is going to be bad when th- when life catches up with Ty. Oh, God, yeah, it has to. Um, And that's the thing. If it doesn't, I'm going to really start suspecting that there's forces uh, aligned uh, behind Ty that's keeping her you know like that the, the, the might have pulled some strings won her election that's going to be burying stories about her because like this is just too much this is just too much to, to bury yeah i mean the the forces behind them are uh ashley lyle and bart nickerson i don't know the Especially people like a, a hospital records are like admit like aren't hospital admit no they're not public records no there's no way they can be it'd be a big hipaa violation but i'm like still yeah you know uh, there's a lot of people that know that the wife of a New York senator is in the hospital and a wreck that she was that she caused and this you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's gonna catch up with her. Zach says I've seen a few interviews with the show directors and a more than one they are were asked to elaborate as much as they could on who the girls in the cold open of the pilot were uh, that we can't seem to identify as a community. They just came right out and said that they don't know themselves yet. They just set up that scene with extras under the masks and hoods and said, we'll figure it out later because they knew they wanted that shot, but hadn't outlined far enough the story to know which characters these shadowy figures are meant to actually represent. But trying to match them by body type, clothes, or any other clues in that scene might not be as useful for uncovering the deeper mystery as one might hope. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they are flexibly running with a five-season plan for the show, so they may still not know who those girls are and be waiting to see how they feel in late season three or even four based on how the story evolves naturally beyond the original plan and which characters make the most sense at that point. As great as any secondary evidence might be, a theory that hinges on, well, that looked like Shauna on the left in the pilot opening or unsupported by the show. Do we take the showrunners at their word and relax a bit on that mystery, or do we expect the one that looks like Misty will just turn out to be Misty? Discuss. I mean, I've already relaxed a little bit just naturally from that being a season and a half ago. Uh, I certainly have my opinions on some of that stuff, but I've also read interviews where like they're interchanging clothes and, and stuff in ways that, you know, are not necessarily intended to confuse viewers, but definitely would. Uh, the one thing they have to be pretty certain about is who runs into that fucking pit right I don't because I there's a hair color there's a skin color that you can't just make it like Crystal never could have been the person to run into that pit it looks like Mari to me but I can't quite tell well that's what Zach's saying he's like everything in his intro that happened was with extras that were not part of the main cast and so my so like yeah but just, you can't put it on screen and then well put that's something else on screen that is contradictory right that's where I disagree with the Z-Man here is that like yes this is all true but you gotta uh, you gotta think that the things that made it on screen are going to be as it's, it's not like the, the writers are making shit up or on a whim at least I hope not I hope that they're like, okay, well, yeah, we didn't intend this to be any particular girl, but 
some of these extras look like the girls more than others mm-hmm. and it's leading people down this particular so like i think they do have to take they should take that into account they don't have to I mean, to your point, they could make Misty the pit girl. Well, no, because she survives. But. Yeah, anybody who survives, they couldn't. But uh, but to your point there, it's like they, they could make somebody with a completely different skin and hair color and body type that girl. But I, I don't think they can. I don't think you can. You can't it would be just... rough. Right, because there's nothing about that first shot that tells me they're in like a altered state, altered mental state, mm-hmm. other than, you know, wearing fucking antlers and stuff. But like the camera isn't seeing it as that so i and and I they have know. recast people they recast Aquila uh this at this this season so but but it's also a lot like you, you if you saw the two actors to play Aquila it's not like mm-hmm. oh my god these are these are two different people they're very similar so like to your point i i do it's not think like casting Rachel McAdams and Ali Wong is the same character right yeah you're not going to have like, like a curly redhead at the bottom of that p- 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 pit or yeah um, so there's like so much wiggle room they have, but you're right. Yeah. They they sure they didn't pin down exactly who it is, and it has confounded the people who've tried to figure it out. And to the extent that they don't mind pissing off the people who are really deep in the theory crafting, they could they could make a frizzy haired blonde girl or uh, a, 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 a black girl down there or something, uh, and just completely violate the visual canon. Um, mm-hmm. but like, you know, they have to understand how invested people are in some of the speculation and this is to, to, to not only like confound the speculation, but to do so in a way that makes you feel stupid for using the show as, as evidence. It, that's a really risky play for a showrunner. Uh huh. You're Too basically risky. saying it's, it's the stuff that you see in the screen and here is, it's not important. We can change it any time. So why would you invest yourself in rewatching and reading all the wikis and the reddits and listening to all podcasts? It, I, I think I think it's it's something they should be very careful about. Yeah. The wilderness is the space between the ads. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't freeze to death. Come back to our coverage of Yellow Jackets. Uh, Juan, a propose of having both in Yellow Jackets. I bought. I thought a mention of a 2017 movie that has both Melanie uh, and Elijah in it. I warn you, it starts slow, but it's a wild ride. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. My wife, mm. Cecily, recommended when she saw, you know, because she's watching Yellow Jackets with me. She watches so many more movies than me. Uh, she really loves this film. Have you seen it? I have not seen it, no. Elijah Woods does a lot of interesting work. Um, and, uh, oh, you know what? Might be a good time to check that out now that we're in a hiatus. Um, I got some, yeah, I got I got three to four-ish hours of Yellow Jackets watching unaccounted for this week, so why not? John G. has some thoughts on the book The Magus. The Magus? We sure. know the... Sh- we know the show is pointing it out for some reason, which may or may not have deep significance, but in case it is relevant, I want to discuss a few things from the book. As you've mentioned, the basic story is kind of like the 97 moving The Game, starring Michael Douglas, a guy is manipulated into thinking certain things are real events, but they're actually being staged for him by another person to teach him something. 
It also has a vague ending where the reader has to decide what happens. The story is basically about a guy who goes to a Greek island from London to teach because his girlfriend wants a commitment and he wants to indulge in pleasure, avoid responsibility, and seek out a bunch of women to sleep with instead. A rich man hires an actress to play a woman who lures him in, and then the rich man plays with him using a bunch of hired people, each playing multiple parts, torturing him in various psychological ways, where the main plot drive becomes a character's need to keep removing these masks, literally and figuratively, from all these people, his captors, to find out who they really are, ending with him finally being unmasked himself, discovering who he really is, and then returning to London. One note on the story structure that compares to Yellow Jackets is it's told from the perspective of the main character in the future after all these events have happened, but without letting you know within the unfolding of the narrative anything more than the character would have known at the time. The other main component of this novel is that the author, John Robert Fowles, was very into Carl Jung, as were many in this era. Uh, the novel is exploring Jung's concept of individuation. Young, instead of the Freud, Freudian id, has a shadow unconscious realm and the collective unconscious. The process of individuation and integration towards a whole being, unifying the conscious and unconscious, is being explored in the magus. Uh, it's about reckoning with that shadow. Initially, we want to just repress this part of ourselves, but it never works. It constantly bubbles up. Jungian analytical psycho psychology is about trying to reckon with your shadow. Doing shadow work can be dangerous, though it's not meant to be negative, as Jung was obsessed with pairs of opposites, but it can completely take over the ego and drive the self to do things it wouldn't normally allow. The shadow realm doesn't have the same language as our ego, conscious self, uh, though, and has to be accessed in unconscious states like in dreams or visions, and it communicates in symbols and archetypes. The Yellow Jackets, we have these symbols, the archetypes from the woods, deer, antler queens, white moose, the tree symbol... We have people having dreams and visions that may be prophetic. We have a character who seems to have a shadow self who has taken over. We have a group of people out in the woods away from society, more free to explore their unconscious desires and instincts that society makes us repress. We also have these same people 25 years later recalling the story, having seemed to try to ignore or repress what happened out there or trying to deal with it and failing. Is this show showing us this book because the characters are on a similar journey, this individuation journey, where the broken adults we meet at the beginning of the story over subsequent seasons become whole by exploring and embracing their hidden selves? Is there perhaps no supernatural elements at all and the dark force they're entangling with is their own unconscious and collective unconscious? Or was I maybe just a little too bored today and I'm reading way too much into all of this? Your thoughts, Jim? Uh, I know nothing of Jungian psychology that I didn't learn from Star Wars. Um, <laughs> so let's preface it with that. But I think that sounds remarkably like what I've seen from the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, I um, I was turned on to some of this stuff um, by a therapist of mine who recommended me the works of Robert Bly. Um, one of the books that he wrote is on uh, a little book on the human shadow where he talks about the shadow work and how... Yeah, like shadow are essentially the negative aspects to us, you know, our, our angers, our jealousies, our, our, our rages, our insecurities, and how we have this desire to hide those from other people and shove them way down. But in, in these, uh, the Jungian analysis, that's a mistake because the dark side of us is gives us our power and our strength. And we abandon that hmm. by, but, but so the, the thing is, is you have to fully integrate those things. And there's all kinds of like, uh, another book that I really like, I don't know what the authors are, but they have, uh, it's, it's called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. 
and it talks about like these aspects of like male psyche and how there's this duality like you can have the king which is the idealized version of your self uh, self uh, actualizing you're in command of yourself you have discipline of yourself uh the dark side of the king archetype is the tyrant uh, where this control turns from inward to outward and you're trying to control everyone and run their lives and make everybody miserable, right? Um, this email made me wonder if, like, maybe it's not, like, like is the antler queen or is the is the antler, like, is the antler queen and the red queen some kind of dichotomy where the antler queen is someone who's in touch with nature, who is connected with her her fellow people, uh, who's showing leadership and support. And then the Red Queen is the like obsessive, compulsive, controlling side of that. I wonder if they're, they're, they are messing with some of these yeah, young archetypes. I mean, yeah, it, it sounds at... like the Magus is a big, you uh-huh. know, pointing, flashing arrow saying, yes, this is, this, there's something there, there. Yeah, potentially. What, what was the connection between the, the Magus and the, the Jungian psychology? apparently that's like that was was, written during the period yeah it's all steeped in the same kind of Jungian analysis of archetypes Mm. and and dealing with your shadow self and your uh, collective unconscious and your shadow unconscious and and all that okay Uh, yeah I I mean that sounds like as good an explanation as any I've heard for what's going on Um, it would be an interesting story if this um, if if them dealing with this is them getting like uh, clearly like Shauna has completely repressed her darker sides, which we see mm-hmm. gives her a lot of strength and power um, sure. to live a normal life. Was that a correct call? Should she have like shut off all that power that she learned in the woods or should she well, integrated it? So she's more assertive and, you know, that's the thing right now. She's longing for some version of herself that existed out in those woods that no longer exists because she's pushed it all down. Right. Could be. Um, I mean, she says as much to to Jeff, right? Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see these women like fully integrate all of the things that they're ashamed and embarrassed by, but also give them power. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's also it's like hard to do these analysis because like when you're talking about cannibalizing and eating people and murdering people, ooh, that's not usual shadow work, you know? That's not the kind of shit that you're trying to integrate yeah. into your your present <laughs> conscious self, you know? And I wonder how that connects with um, Lottie because she has had seemingly a connection to this shadowy thing since she was a kid. And it doesn't right. strike me as something a kid would have to grapple with, right? Like the, the Jungian philosophy stuff I don't think applies to eight-year-olds. It can't because like that's one of the things is right. like there's also mature and immature forms. So like a child cannot be a king cannot be a warrior like they could be uh yeah i think there's the the, so the immature form of the king is the prince Mm -hmm. um and then there's like a there's a negative version of that and uh the warrior the negative version the immature version of the warrior i can't remember what it is but the negative version i think is like the bully so like yeah Mm -hmm. none of the like none of these girls before they attain adulthood could possibly be the fully integrated mature functional form of a Jungian archetype by definition gotcha um. All right. I think that's enough Jungian analysis for this pot for this uh, feedback episode. We'll we'll see if it this sparks some other thoughts and and uh, keep an eye on it in the future because I do think there's some there there. 
Ashton from Houston says, I just posted this on Reddit and I keep getting downvoted. Walter lied about Taco Bell. Don't believe anything he says. This is what I was talking about. You cannot buy Taco Bell stock. You can buy stock in Yum Brands. Oh, okay. I mean, who's believing Walter anyway? As far as I'm concerned, he told three potential lies here. Well... I, well, he's saying that like this is so my question to you if we take this seriously because some of this is a little bit of a jokey joke um sure so this is a tell that says the thing he actually said was a truth can't be a truth but is it is is that so like there's two things do the showrunners know that taco bell is not a publicly traded company that you have to buy their right. parent company yum brands and two do they it, know it and not care because the audience won't know it yeah, so like if I own stock and if I own two hundred thousand dollars of stock in Yum Brands, and at the party, like something uh, at a party, something came out about Taco Bell, and I'd be like, "Oh, a big fan of Taco Bell, own stock in them." Mm-hmm. Am I lying, or am I just be you know, or am I just not being pedantic? Be like, "Well, actually, it's Yum Brands, and they actually own Pizza Hut and KFC and the Habit Burger and Grill and Ka-. like." I don't think right. that's a, that's just right. speaking colloquially. Mm-hmm. I own two hundred thousand dollars of Taco Bell stock. Here's the other thing. I wonder if Moriarty is not planting seeds that Sherlock can follow to detect lies. His lies? Mm. Mm. If he wants to encourage this game that he's playing with her, yeah, then he might be doing things like that. And is the sh- and that's the thing is like are the showrunners deliberately setting these things up where it's like cuz mm-hmm. we've identified there's three th- possibilities. He is intentionally lying. He, uh, the showrunners just ignorant to the fact that you can't invest in Taco Bell directly, or Elijah Wood's character is just speaking colloquially, you know, like not mm-hmm. being super precise. But I don't think anyone, like, like if you're at a party and you say, "Yeah, I got two hundred thousand dollars of Taco Bell stock," and someone said, "Prove it," and you got out your Robin Hood app and said, "Here," and they're like, "Yum, fucking brands." That's not Taco Bell stock. Like, uh, like mm-hmm. is someone gonna call you on that shit? And like, if they, if they did, do, they get kicked out of the party. Yeah, they have to go home. Yeah, like a, like a Wikipedia search can verify that. Like, oh, okay, and it's a yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't downvote you though, Ashton. That that seems some some bullying behavior by the the Yellow Jackets. So mm-hmm. you need to find your crystal, hold on to him tight. Everything's gonna be fine. Uh, Everett says, I don't know about you, but much like what happened to Sammy, my money is on Javi's friend, whom we told Coach Scott. Uh, told him to stay hidden is the other tie that he recognizes as a different person. So I'll explain why Javi made himself visible when Light Tie and Van searched for the last symbol, as he probably thought this was his friend, the other tie, and not Light Tie, along with Van to capture him and bring him back to the cabin. Also, this episode brought with it my favorite needle drop dust. Oh wait, let's start. Let's start there. I love this theory. I'm I like confused. this theory a lot. I, I missed something here. What? What, what did you miss? Is the theory? I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know because I missed it. <laughs> Javi said that his friend told the coach that he had to stay hidden. His friend. The theory is, Lottie said. Right? Lottie said what? Oh, oh, you're okay. You're talking. Yes. About the friend that he was apparently with somewhere out in the woods here. Yeah, and says she told me to stay hidden. He looks significantly at Lottie, but that might be because he's afraid of Lottie, not because okay. he's referring to Lottie. Mm-hmm. And that what he's he's been communing with Dark Ty. Maybe Dark Ty has been feeding okay. him bear meat um, throughout mm-hmm. this whole process, and he revealed himself to Ty because he thought he was the friend and not you know light. All Ty. right, this is possible. 
And I also really like, as we noticed in the podcast, that the drawing that I think Javi made uh, is very reminiscent to the drawings that Sammy made of his dark mother. Mm-hmm. So this would tie a really nice tight band tie. between, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, between dark tie and light tie and the dark tie in the present, dark tie in the past. Yeah. I like, I like this theory. No, that's that's interesting. Okay, yeah, it could be dark tie. Um, and I don't know how Javi has survived with Van literally tying Ty down. Because like if he, he has been her, uh-huh. or she's been his lifeline this whole time. Like what the fuck, you know? I've got an impression that for weeks they've been tying Ty up at night. Yeah, maybe that one night where she broke free, untied herself, she gave him like a huge chunk of bear meat. Mm. <laughs> now don't eat all this at once, because God mm. knows I might get tied up at the cabin. And uh, Also, this episode brought with it my favorite needle drop thus far, Danzig's mother, immediately transported me back to my angsty early teen years and made me want to jump out of my seat and start punch dancing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, That's so funny because, like, I went through my angriest metal phase, like, when I was, like, 12, 13, 14. Yeah. It's 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 so much fun how how much how full of like, anger and angst you can be uh, over relatively <laughs> nothing. But. Right. It's all right. You, know. you really get perspective as an adult. You're yeah. like, oh, is my life actually anything to get angry about then? Nah. I would submit yes. I definitely had. I, I look back. I'm like, you had a point, young man. But uh, uh, I don't know. James Hetfield uh, was was the conduit to to focus that. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, speaking of needle drops, as a rather sad, neither of you picked up on the guest singer brought in for the intro music of episode four. Did you know this, Jim? Intro music of episode four. Yeah the the theme. Uh, uh, God, I skipped the- these, so no. Ah, I usually don't because it's like more trouble than it's worth, but they brought in Alanis Morissette. Oh, really? Okay, now you go, I back, go back and listen. If you go back and hear the intro, it's like she's a very, she's a great, she's a great choice for that version of that song. And it's like, it's almost not noticeable, but if you, if you know that's Alanis Morissette, it's very easily recognizable. That's cool. I don't know that I've seen a show do that to bring in like guest singers to sing yeah. their theme song. I've definitely seen shows change their theme song season to season, yeah. but that's kind of a cool idea. It's the no return cover by Alanis Morissette. And uh, they've got it posted on Showtime's YouTube site too. If you just want to get uh, check that out, if you just Google search Alanis Morissette, yellow jackets is the first result. Um, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. I was, that was cool. Appreciate that Everett. Uh, Liani. Leone says, stay with me for a minute. I'm watching The Leftovers and it's inspired a Yellow Jackets thought. I just watched the third episode of season one. In it, Christopher Eccleson, uh, the character Matt, gambles $20,000 and loses his church anyway. Made me think about faith and how it can mean whatever you need it to. Matt sees his troubles, his terrible troubles as tests from God to be faithful and fight for his church when perhaps they're actually signs from God to give up. Now in Yellow Jackets, Natty, Natty, Nat and Lottie have a food competition. Lottie cuts her hand as a sacrifice to a woods gods. We know she sees this as a sacrifice because in present day she does the same thing and pleads to let this be enough, hoping to avoid any more visions or be spared whatever event is being forecast in the visions. The food off ends and it seems like neither girl is rewarded. Lottie doesn't find any food and Nat loses the frozen moose. However, Javi returns. 
Is Javi Lottie's prize for her blood sacrifice and Nat's punishment for lack of faith? I don't know, or I know Nat didn't want Javi to die, but his return will inevitably destroy her relationship with Travis as her lie is exposed. Mm-hmm. It can also be argued that Nat is punished by losing the moose. Does this prove some kind of higher power, a higher power that favors Lottie because of her faith? Even if this isn't the case and it's all just coincidence, the girls will definitely use this event to further exalt and glorify Lottie as God. But more importantly, it will galvanize Lottie's faith, which seems to have been waning of late. Uh, and they want to know how we are coming down. I, I'm still staunchly anti-supernatural. Uh, this is all shadow work. Hmm. Uh, it's all Jungian psychology at work. Mm-hmm. Um, you seem to be a little bit more lean and supernatural. Oh, I'm open to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a good analysis of it. If you want to say it's supernatural, this is a reward and a punishment, um, for the individuals. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. And that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's what it's. What's more interesting to me is, as you said, the dynamic it has on the the group, and it's pushed a lot more mm-hmm. girls into Lottie's arms. It's definitely marginalized Nat uh, in the group. She doesn't doesn't have really any allies. It's her and Shauna against Lottie at this point. Mm-hmm. Meredith says this show is so good with the subtle Easter eggs, but I don't see anyone else pointing the best ones out. For one, the names of Van Store is while you were streaming. Uh, it's a play on While You Were Sleeping, the movie the Van recapped in season one when she and Ty went south before she got attacked by wolves. Then in episode five, Misty turns off the radio and Walter's car when it starts playing Staying Alive, which we find out later is the same song she used for a CPR attempt on Crystal slash Christian. Hmm. I didn't recognize Staying Alive in that scene. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I think it's the thing he turned. She, yeah, it's definitely a mm-hmm. BG song. I'm pretty sure it's Staying Alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why Meredith would lie to us unless she's a crystal, <laughs> unless she's a misty type. Uh, mm-hmm. While I'm while I'm here, I just have to say that most of the theories people are coming up with would be cheap twists, and if they happen, and would probably ruin the show for me. I feel like the theory craft and culture on the internet has gotten totally out of hand. That people all want the one thing, uh, be the one to predict the thing, but twists aren't really the thing that makes the show good. The mysteries are a fun part of it, but they're not what make the show great. I don't think the writers are trying to trick us. I think that's what people have come to expect because other less well-written shows are linked to that now. Please stop trying to make the cult girl being Shauna's baby happen. Uh, Welcome to Internet Puzzle Box Podcasting (laughs) Mm -hmm. circa as long as I've been doing it, which has been a pretty long time now. Uh, Yeah. You can blame Lost. If you want to blame anybody, blame Lost. I will say that it's been my experience that very few shows are able to hold up to the scrutiny of millions of eyeballs looking at them with magnifying glasses and doing. I mean, I've been on shows where crazy shits happen, like in uh, like like Mr. Robot. People were like, de- mm-hmm. you know, like examining the, the, the bit patterns of MP3s and finding encoding messages and images. And there's these false like like that. The rabbit hole went deep um, and intentionally. And, yeah, and rarely does it seem like that scrutiny leads to more enjoyment of the show, mm-hmm. but it is part of the process. It is a deeply satisfying part of the process for a lot of people, and I don't know how to square it. You know, if we com- if we completely disengage from the theory crafting, <laughs> nobody would listen to our podcast. I do know that. I do know that. Yeah, I so, so it's not the thing that I enjoy about the show the most. Certainly, sure. Um, 
I wonder if the show knows that. I wonder if the bureau or the, the, the citizen detectives is a reflection of the writers knowing that and pointing out that like, we know you guys are going to do this. We're kind of encouraging it in some ways, but it's not going to be the point of this show. I hope. I hope they're that self-aware. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I feel like Westworld put on a clinic of how not to do this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and True Detective is one of those shows that kind of like learned as they went. Um, and I think Dark executed it to perfection. Uh, mm-hmm. There is definitely a way you can do this and kind of have your cake and eat it, too. But it requires just a really lot of thought out content, you know, Um mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, it remains to be seen whether we're getting uh, taken for a ride here or not. But, yeah, it's just the theory. Theory crafting is it's not my favorite part of the show either. And um, but it, but it is definitely a part like you just naturally come oh, yeah. up with these theories as you're watching a show and you want to talk with other people. Uh, what I try to do is I just try to demand like, OK, what is the exact evidence? You know, sure. Um like you have to have like you can't just be like uh i think lisa's the forest baby okay why it's because she's the same age because you know this because that and like what are the confounding things like if if like, if i get like a two sentence thing that says i just i just assert something as fact i don't usually do that uh you got to have some evidence and it has to be con- you know you have to have some you have to synthesize it with the other available uh, evidence too so but mm-hmm. uh yeah, I, I like I said, I've been doing this for almost 13 years. I don't know the best way to cover a puzzle box, but we'll see. Uh, Lacey, I was listening to your podcast for 204, Old Wounds, where you guys were talking about the Lisa is the Forest Baby theory. Speak of the devil. Mm-hmm. One reason I don't think the Forest Baby made it back is causing the episode when Shauna discloses to Jeff that she told Callie about the Adam stuff. Jeff proclaims, we only have the one kid. Where we know Jeff has read all the journals, I think this hints that the forest baby is no longer alive. Um, I'm starting to warm up to the mm. idea that there is no forest baby. That this forest baby is just going to slide right into a shallow gl- grave and or crockpot and mm-hmm. there's nothing. But yeah. could I also buy two 17-year-olds in love? going through this traumatic event and giving away the kid uh, no strings attached to adopt to adoption. And then after you tell yourself that for 25 years, you just internalize the fact that you only have the one kid, Callie. Mm-hmm. I believe that too. That's possible. I think Sean is going to give birth to a white moose. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to be a baby. I, a human baby. I think it's going to be some, some horrible abomination. Mm, mm. It'll be... <laughs> maybe it is Randy's it's kid. Be a t- maybe it's, she it's... also had sex with Randy, <laughs> and it comes out looking just like Randy. It's droopy dog face. Oh, Jesus. She's like, yeah, that's not Jeff's kid. Um. Yeah, I... I don't... I don't know. I... I, I, I in, I'm increasingly thinking that we don't have a living forest baby to account for. But uh, I guess we'll see in the weeks ahead because or I think it looks like we're going to be dealing with a birth. I, I, I don't even know if we'll get a live birth, to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. um, with the kind of malnutrition and stress and all that kind of stuff. Um, let's move on to Tango. It says, why is the multimillionaire Walter driving around in a shitbox station wagon? I mean, he made his money illegally, like like Gus from Breaking Bad. Oh, so he just has to pay cash for everything and and keep things off the IRS records. 
Well, yeah, he's and he's also got to keep his image uh, squeaky clean, right? He can't be driving around in a Lamborghini or they're going to take notice. Um, the other thing is like, uh, it's uh, this is like a famous fact about the founder of Ikea is like, even when he was a multi-billionaire, he still drove like a 20-year-old Toyota Corolla because it was a sensible car that he had owned and kept in good shape and it met all of his needs. And some people don't go right to the Bugattis and $100 million yachts and they just kind of like keep their lifestyle the same. But Walter does. Walter has a flashy boat, right? Is it a flashy Super boat nice. or is it just, uh, is it just a house? Is just a, a, a boat he lives on? Like, uh, it's very well maintained. I mean, it's, it's sparkling clean and it's very big. It's very big. Maybe that's where for, he spends his money. For one person, that's a big boat. Um, maybe that's where he spends his money. I don't, I, I, it's, that's, that's a mildly good question. We'll see. Uh, secondly, Tango says crystal to pistol could have easily just been called Kristen the piston. Ah, boy, I don't know. Crystal to pistol. I'd rather be a pistol than a piston. <laughs> So she was never actually called Crystal the Pistol, right? Like that's part of what she says is like, no, that's why she didn't. That's why she said she didn't correct them. That they they gave her this nickname and she'd never gotten a nickname before, so she didn't want to harsh it. But then she also says, "Thanks for calling me that," because nobody actually calls me that. Kristen? Oh no, no I think she said Kristen. Like, as she corrects herself and starts calling her Kristen. Oh, right. Okay, I I don't know. I need to go watch that scene again to be sure, but. Uh, all right. Yeah. No. Um, I what, what is piston like, like about soccer? Like pistol, it's like you, you you're taking pump shot. Legs, you're... Right. Like oh. she's she's can really run down the field. She's running like a piston. Yeah. She's running like a piston. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's pumping those legs like pistons. Okay. Kristen's okay. Pistons. I, I think we proved our point here, Tango. Let's move on to Molly from Portland. <laughs> I don't know about you, but episode five really solidified my theory that Mari had to be the pit girl. This is your, your she's, she's on your wavelength here, Jim. Okay. They established yeah. that the girls draw cards for chores. In the future, one of those chores is going to be sacrificing yourself for the survival of the others. Mari's clearly manipulating the cards, so the unpopular girls get the worst chores, and she's going to be the one to draw the fateful Queen of Hearts. Karma's coming for you, Mari. Mm. The only problem I have with this theory, which is otherwise excellent, because Mari does kind of look like the pit girl, mm-hmm. and I think that means something, is why would she stop working the cards when death is on the line? Uh, Yeah. Good question. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe it's uh, a case of, like, she's working the cards and... Even though she's worked the cards, she still pulls the small one in like a, is this supernatural kind of way? Even she is surprised that she pulls the short straw here. I wonder if Crystal, I'm sorry, I wonder if Misty is going to take all of this anger that she feels towards herself for killing her best friend and put it on Mari when she somehow realizes that she's she's manipulating the cards. Could be. And then it would be a very misty move to figure out what she's doing and, and either accuse her openly. And I could see that being like, well, the punishment of like trying to like shirk your death duty is death. That mm-hmm. seems reasonable. Or reverse rig it to where Mari in a public showing draws her own card. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty much the same thing you said? Maybe it is. 
Uh, no, no, not not really. Mine was more like in a supernatural way. Oh, like she pulls a card that she the expects darkness to be a high manipulates card. the card. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. I see. Either um, one of those is plausible. Um, I like because yeah. I, I definitely getting the the clear opinion over the last few weeks that who that the, this card game is rigged. They are fucking the unpopular girls over. And Misty mm-hmm. is smart and vengeful. So, like, even without the supernatural stuff, I think this is a solid theory. Uh, Dustin has a couple questions, and he's going to take an attempt at answering them. First up, who's the Antler Queen? I don't think any one person is exclusively the Antler Queen. I think the Antler Queen rotates, and the way you become an Antler Queen is by being the person who killed the designated victim prey of the hunt. If you kill the prey, you're an Antler Queen for the time being until the next hunt. The Antler Queen would be rewarded for this in some way, getting extra meat to eat, no chores, whatever. The catch, of course, is to get those benefits, you have to kill one of your friends or teammates. I think this also may be one of the bigger secrets that the Yellow Jackets all share. It's one thing to eat a person who dies due to circumstance, Jackie, but it's very different, worse, morally, socially, psychologically, to directly cause the unnatural deaths of one otherwise healthy individual being, i.e. murder. Yeah, we have a word for that. It's murder. <laughs> uh, how does this theory catch you? I mean, there's not much to go on, but I kind of like the idea. Um, is that why Misty's so opposed to playing true, two truths and a lie? Because she doesn't like playing these types of games anymore. Could be. That uh, makes it also ties in real good with her turning off of the staying alive in that scene too, because it's all right. It's all of a piece. All pointing back to that that fateful day when she killed her bestie. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. Like I said, there's nothing to say that this is actually going to happen, but it's, no. it's, it would be an interesting idea. I kind of like it. And as I, I kind of like the idea of the rotation, except for like, I got a clear implication that Shauna was their dedicated butcher. Because I kind of like the, I, I was reading this theory and I'm like, okay, I kind of like the idea that they use this card system. I'm combining several theories here, but they use a card system to randomize who's doing what roles. And then maybe they don't even know who's each in each role and they wear these elaborate dresses to kind of give them. It's kind of like, um, you know, when they would execute somebody and the officers would get like, uh, you know, one or two people in the, the execution squad would be given blank rounds mm-hmm. uh, and no one knew who those were. So everyone could plausibly be like, well, I wasn't the one that, that, that was the executioner it was these other poor sons of bitches. Mm-hmm. It kind of like a fig leaf for your conscience. Sure, so, sure. like, if they have some kind of random way to determine it, and then they go off knowing, like, like a, a one-night ultimate werewolf type of game, mm-hmm. they know who they are, they go off in the woods, and they don the appropriate costume, and they come together all cloaked, and no one knows who's got the knife, no one knows who's the hunter, no one knows who's the butcher, and they all kind of, like, share this plausible deniability that they're not all murderers. I could see that, but what Jim said is important. There is no evidence at all for this. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Uh, is Lottie's cult a legit... A thing or a scam I think it's actually both Lottie may justify in her head that since she's providing these people physical and emotional stability healing food lodging etc she's entitled to take whatever she wants from them in terms of money I don't think Lottie actually knows what to think about her gifts or maybe she even has doubts about them but she's happy to let others think she's magical special if they choose her own twist on free will that absolves her of guilt in her mind the biggest argument for this is even back in the wilderness Mari and others repeated attribute good things or strange happenings to Lottie, yet Lottie never once corrects them or pushes back on that. She literally says nothing at all. Yet when she and Nat have their contest to see who can bring back food, Lottie touches the tree, concentrates, and tries to make something happen, but clearly doesn't even know or believe something will. 
deep down she doesn't really know if she causes these things but either way she's happy to let others think this and then benefit profit from that belief it's interesting though dustin that you said nothing happens parenthetically but something did happen they found javi Mm -hmm. yeah but in her mind like she's not sure if anything is going to happen or if or what would happen if it did um yeah that's the part i agree with that she is in the woods deeply unsure about if this stuff is real and think and thinks in fact she's still silly and stupid when she is put on the put out there to, to do the test however yeah it doesn't quite mesh it seems like the stuff that she's integrated into the purple people cult is fairly sound therapeutic group therapy type techniques uh i don't know what to make of the cult trappings sure you know the the uniforms one thing but like the signing away your life and there was like the thing that really bothered me is there was a there was a child support custody agreement that was in those files like what like the implication is lottie is getting her hands on money that's supposed to be spent on children wow i don't know i don't know why else you would have that document in there but like i don't i don't know yeah, typically when you see a licensed therapist, I just want to make sure everybody knows this. When you see a licensed therapist, they don't ask you to sign away all your worldly possessions to them. Yes, they cost a lot. The hourly rate is high sometimes. Insurance probably won't say, do cover you have, most of we it. Talk, do you have insurance or not? Because, <laughs> But they don't ask you to sign your bank account information over to them, no. typically. No, that's that's not considered good practice, I don't think. <laughs> I don't know. Lottie's Lottie's strange, man. Uh, She clearly feels like there's something happening out here in the woods, feels like she's connected to it. But you're right. The times when she remains silent and the times when she says things are pushing the group in a direction, I think. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's her consciously pushing the group in that direction or if it's the influence of whatever let's say darkness okay. uh, I, is is within her or around her or whatever pushing them in that direction i'll take a side here i'm going to run with the Jungian archetype theory i think it's interesting that when she's left her own devices she's doing she's whispering dark things about shauna's baby and how it's going to change everything and she's brewing people tea and telling their talismans mm-hmm. but whenever when someone acknowledges and be like what the fuck is your shit lottie she just kind of dissociates and sits there mm-hmm I wonder, like, when she is consciously trying to do the powers, it doesn't work. But when she's kind of like just giving in to her paranoid delusions and her schizophrenia, or I forget what whatever her you know DSM five diagnosis is, she starts doing the witchy stuff. Okay, so like that explains the dichotomy. There is that like when her thinking self is deeply unsure about everything that's happening, but when she's acting in a subconscious kind of automatic pilot. She starts doing mm. all these weird rituals and things. So, yeah, could be. Or maybe just when she's called out, she doesn't know how to respond. Right. I mean, it's, it's, that's also not for nothing a very Christ like response, like literally. Like, that's what, like, you know, Jesus, usually when he was accused, like, how many times in the Bible were the, like, the Pharisees and Sadducees come after him? He just remains silent. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't, doesn't answer the charges at all or tries to evade or get away. So it's like, mm hmm. Um, Lord says I'm a licensed therapist and I specialize in trauma. I'm a longtime listener from the leftover days. All right, 
She says, I do not use EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization uh, and reprocessing, desensitization and reprocessing. That's the thing I was kind of gesturing at during the podcast as a modality. But I do use brain spotting, which is a very similar technique in that you use your eyes to help people process trauma. EMDR requires bilateral eye movement or tapping, which mimics REM sleep patterns. To make this brief as possible, I'll tell you what happens with traumatic experiences in the brain. When we experience a traumatic event, the subcortical part of our brain becomes very active and the logical part or prefrontal part of our brain becomes less than it would normally when creating a memory. Because of this, we might forget the details of our trauma and experience a stress response, flight, flight, or freeze for seemingly no reason when experiencing a similar sensation that was experienced with a traumatic event, such as a smell, a sound, etc., which are common symptoms of PTSD. Modalities like EMDR and brain spotting use the eyes as a way to help process or move the experiences from that inner part of the brain to the prefrontal where we can have a better understanding of it and change our narrative. It's essential to both activate the trauma response, usually done by speaking about it in great detail, and then also having a different relationship with the memory, which is done when we allow ourselves to process it in a way a typical memory would be processed. I want to mention here that the eyes are the only part of our nervous system that lives outside our body. This is why we use them to access the subcortical. Um, this is a very brief and pretty simplified way of explaining it. Now, while Lottie is doing something similar in activating the event, having Natalie talk about the memory from her OD, she was not using the light in a bilateral way that EMDR does. EMDR practitioners might use a light bar where the light moves from side to side. I think you're right. She's using things she's learned from her treatment that are clinically adjacent and maybe even mixed in with some alternative medicine practices. Uh, we actually got a couple hmm. of people that came forward that has experiences either undergoing this treatment or doing it. Um, this is the first and a pretty comprehensive one. So thank you, Lord. Uh, yeah. All I, can, all I can think now <laughs> is that Shauna's baby is going to come out and start crawling across the ceiling. This brain spotting thing. I can't <laughs> I can't unthink it. I was like, where is he going with it? Oh, train spotting, of course. Of yeah. Course. Uh and the toy she and somebody already fell into the toilet and died. It's hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, this, this last paragraph I think is interesting because clearly they're trying to go for this EMDR or brain spotting. And like here is again is like, do we have a gap between what the showrunners understand about this therapy? Do they think it's irresponsible sure, sure. to show inaccurate the version of this therapy so because they don't want people copying it um or is it the idea that lottie has kind of sort of knows these things work from her time in outpatient therapy and inpatient therapy and she's mixing that with some woods magic and some just boilerplate self-help healing style and um or does she have a degree does yeah, any of this, this like that's the thing it, i always come at it you know right perhaps for obvious reasons from my own perspective and me not knowing the details of, of any of this stuff. If I were to try and write something like this, it would look more like what I see in the show and yeah. less like what actually happens. Um, in the actual therapy. Yeah. And so writers... I, I want to attribute it to just being like unfamiliar with the minute details of the thing, but I don't know. Yeah. And some writers, there's two ways to, deal with that gap one is just fill it in with whatever your imagination yeah, and the other is do detailed research and do it right have a clinical yes. practitioner on the set as your advisor mm -hmm. i don't think either one of those approaches is invalid you know yeah i, I agree 
uh, as long as it's, it's not, not like we're dealing. This is not a show that is going to like help you work through all of your childhood traumas or something, right? Like that's not what this show is doing. The show not is, directly, adjacently, it might just by. I don't know, making you feel like you're not alone or maybe in, empowering sure, sure. you to go and find some effective therapy. But yeah, yeah, I don't think... This yeah. is just trying to tell a, a killer story uh, yeah. about this weird happening. So I would be okay with this type of show not getting these details perfectly right. Yeah, I'd be very skeptical if a therapist said, uh, <laughs> watch two seasons of Yellow Jackets and call me in the morning. Like, Right. <laughs> I don't think that would work. Past the shrooms. We'll be right back. All hail the antler queen. We're back with yellow jackets. Um, Alex has a theory about crystal. There's uh, the group seemingly was so nonchalant about crystal going missing that. And there's only being one card drawn when Mari approached them to draw for chores I felt from the moment that she strutted on singing show tunes that she just wasn't a real person. I also noticed that she touches Misty. Uh, Misty touches her, and no one else ever touches or is touched by her, Crystal. All the girls casting her out, I think she made up a friend the same way she made up the love affair between she and Coach Ben. Adam added some more evidence to this theory. He had the same kind of thing. He says, when Mari first acknowledges that there's great two of you now, it could be she could be saying Misty's talking to herself. When Mari is having everyone draw chore cards, only Crystal draws a card and Misty does not. Why would they not both draw one? No one is calling out Crystal's name when they are looking for Shauna and Ty. And uh, was Crystal in the prayer circle? Wouldn't she be there with her bestie? Have you seen this? Because I, I I saw this last week in a Reddit thread that someone is speculating about Crystal uh, being a figment of uh, Misty's imagination. I don't buy it. Um, the strongest uh, evidence is the one card theory. Everything else, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that a girl would see a girl talking to herself and say, great, there's two of you now. Yeah, it's just snarky enough in like an Empire Records kind of way that I could see it. Um, so I, hmm, this is getting me thinking. I'm now thinking about the scene uh, where Crystal dies and that could figuratively be Misty killing the portion of herself that feels guilty about destroying the transponder I don't know that we've seen a lot of that manifesting though like I haven't seen her <laughs> racked with guilt ever that's one that way happened. to integrate the shadow self kill it sure yeah yeah, yeah just just completely sever it um, yeah, yeah I mean like it, ki- it, killing the boy kind of thing right except this exactly. is like regret over and, and guilt over doing something horrible it, it, I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't have anything to go for it because I also feel like just oh, from yeah. memory, my vague like there's lots more times where Crystal and Misty have been acknowledged as a unit. Maybe, but I don't know that Chris, the the, the Crystal Kristen has ever been acknowledged as an individual by anyone. Mm-hmm. And so like there is a glimmer. I just, I don't know. Like I, well, until you said that thing about her integrating. Or eliminating the aspect that feels guilty, like I was really dismissive. But like, yeah, with all this Jungian stuff, that does track. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'll keep my eye on it, though. It's an interesting I, idea. If it turns out to be true, and I like the what would be so that's the other thing is like when she comes in and says, "Oh my God, Crystal's Crystal is okay." Misty busts in the cabin and says, "Crystal's missing." No one says, "Who the fuck are you talking about?" 
at mm-hmm. least one girl says, oh, my God, we have to find her. Why the oh, hell would they, they say yeah. that if it's a fictitious person? That's like that's a hard one to right. explain. OK, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't make really any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's definitely the order. So <laughs> it depends says. on how they said, it. oh, my God, we have to find her. Like, no, if you it say was it like that, <laughs> and it was definitely which made uh, the other people think about Ty and and Shauna. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I will say that if this came out to be true. It would give me a whole new understanding of how tricksy the writers might get with us, because I would say that's mm-hmm. very tricksy and false on the Gollum scale. Uh, it yeah, is not up front when they do this tricksy stuff, they've tended to show us right away that it's Trixie, right? Like, I think of Shauna it re- yeah, talking resolves. to Jackie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, after she's already dead, and you're thinking, is this a flashback? Is this, well, what is this? And then they show you, no, she's talking to her corpse. Yeah, they have been playing most things pretty, they've been, you know, uh, oblique, and they've obfuscated some things, but like, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't, don't think they've come out right and like lied to us in this type of way, but we'll yeah. see. Uh, Hannah says, never having lots watched Lost, I get the vibe from Natalie's vision of everyone in the plane dead while the Antler Queen walked through to uh, walk through gave me big Final Destination energy. No one is supposed to survive in the crash, and the darkness entity tried to take each of the survivors out while being stuck in a wilderness. His job isn't finished yet, and the surviving Yellow Jacket seemed to be in imminent danger. Uh, I'm on the other side of this divide, Hannah. I've never seen any of the Final Destination movies. Really? I just wow. know that uh, I've seen the scene with the logging truck and I can never mm-hmm, pass those mm-hmm. fuckers on a road anymore. But <laughs> yeah, so you, you, I presumably you've seen both or more of both than I have. What do you make yeah. of this theory? Uh, I mean, in, in that it's Final Destination, like that you have a fate that cannot be avoided, at least not forever. They're um, supposed to die in the plane. There's some cosmic balance that's thrown off. Is that the flavor of like? I don't know. Like, I don't get that impression because like, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on what's happening in the current day portion of the show. Like, is somebody trying to bring them back together for their own purposes? Is the darkness trying to do it um, because it missed its opportunity 25 years later? I will say in Final Destination, they death typically doesn't give you 25 years until the next try the next attempt but maybe this version of it is particularly patient i mean it's it's i don't know i mean in that scenario like you could just wait every human out you could literally just everyone will die eventually true right yeah we'll get them we'll get them in 60 years yeah right like how patient do you have to be in that scenario yeah, I, I think that the, the, the way you can't completely dismiss it, uh, what Hannah's saying here, because like that's essentially what Natalie said when she's crying on Lottie's nap or lap that like I saw this vision. We were all dead and we were supposed to, we were not supposed to make it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she even said those exact words. So it's like eh, there might be a little final destination here. We'll see. Sure. I, I, I wonder if we're ever going to see the period between like the 18 months that they spend in the wilderness and the current day. Like where we pick up with him in season one. It would be interesting. Yeah. Or even just like, what does it look like for them to in the immediate aftermath of rescuing? You know, we, we know Lottie went through like uh, mm-hmm. some pretty extensive treatment. Um, but yeah, like more of those scenes, I wonder. Yeah. Or something when they were like 
you know, 30 instead of early 40s and high school, you know. I know there's a popular theory that we'll definitely see Shauna and Jeff's wedding. Okay. Um, that they'll definitely show that as, as uh, and that makes sense because they did get married like shortly after, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's the, they got married as, as teen teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian writes in, but says parenthetically, we can call her Crystal if you want, if we want to. Aw, Kristen the Piston, you don't have to do that with uh, in the feedback. We'll we'll, we'll call <laughs> your right name. <laughs> I have a theory that Adult Van is the one who's actually sick, and she made up the story about her mother for Ty. Kind of explains why she doesn't care about how she eats mm-hmm. or her bills, or if she feels she's terminal. Maybe when she meets up the adult Lottie, there could be a storyline about Lottie healing her. Hmm. All right, I like this theory. Yeah. Sarah in Tennessee had something she wanted to chime in related. It says, regarding the Two Truths, One Lie episode, I want to chime in on the debate regarding Van's use of opioids at the end of the episode. As a recovering prescription pill, among other things, addict, I think the episode is sending mixed messages. When I first saw Ty open a medicine cabinet, I thought she was the addict because it's a total addict move to check out other people's medicine cabinets. Further... Uh, I thought there was no way Van was an addict because no addict would ever leave their stash unattended like that where anyone could get it. As an addict, uh, we'll often assume others are motivated as they are and will expect others are always trying to get their drugs because addicts know other addicts. However, when I saw the ending where the actress playing Van uh, desperately digs the bottle out of the trash and gulps it down with relief, there's no doubt she was portraying the actions of an addict. The fact that the second she is alone, she goes for it, screams addict to me. Even before that, her over-the-top reaction to throwing the medicine dramatically in the trash read as an addict to me, including the deflection of using her mother's death as her cover to manipulate Ty into feeling bad for accusing her. Addicts are master manipulators who are great at grand gestures. Their disease demands it. A normal person usually holds on to old meds until they literally crumble to nothing. Throwing them in the trash is yet another deflection. Anyway, I think the writing is a little off of the drugs being left out in the medicine cabinet. We hoard, hide, and protect our drugs. But the rest of the scene and the excellent act led me to believe that Van is a functioning addict. Uh, appreciate that perspective, Sarah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what to think. It does seem like it. it's kind of split down the middle. And I, I I didn't see the franticness of her rushing to the thing. It felt like it was more of an impulse thing to me. But, you know, mm-hmm. again, I'm not I'm not... What, I'm not looking at this with the eyes of an addict either, so or or uh, someone in recovery, I should say. Um, we'll have to see. We'll have to. I, I this one. This is one of those things where we don't have to wait very long for confirmation. Van's fl- like sliding into a full blown opiate addiction. Uh, that 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 will be made manifest in the fullness of time. Uh, Charlie wanted to share a little article in reference to why a video store is still relevant and how media oftentimes gets lost and issues it creates. Uh, also relevant to the times as Netflix just canceled their DVD service. It feels very van like to stick to the tangible versus something streaming. Here's the article. Uh, this is from Uproxx called a long arduous attempt to watch cocoon and why some movies vanish. This is something that we've slowly awakened to in the last few years mm-hmm. that, for various reasons, because of studios merging, because of distribution deals expiring, because of digital rights to music being uh, a, a thorny issue, there is more and more and more of our movie catalogs that are just vanishing. Like if you go to stream, uh, you just you just can't find it. Um, mm-hmm. This article is about this guy's attempt to watch Cocoon during the pandemic, but we've seen it with high fidelity. I think Empire Records is one of those. Um there's just, just tons and tons of gaps in the digital streaming 
uh, a library because of this. So like now, mm-hmm. is that a reason to go VHS or is that a reason to hoard Blu-ray and DVDs? Well, some things are only on VHS, you know, True. Um, a lot of the, 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 when you look at a catalog, uh, the size of the catalog on any given media, VHS like far outstrips anything. It's crazy. Is it really crazy how much stuff is on VHS that is not on any other format? I had no it's, idea. It's not going to be stuff like Cocoon and Empire Records, right? Those are going to make it to DVD and probably Blu-ray by now. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something that's unique to streaming because it doesn't have a physical presence in the real world. It is constantly up for reevaluation as far as rights go. Whereas you just sell a thing for a VHS or a DVD and that's a thing until it crumbles into dust. Uh, like you said, so that's wild. I was looking like there's a lot of movies I recognize in this article uh mannequin uh Johnny okay. dangerously cocoon and the thing about cocoon is it was the top five grossing movie of the year it came out this isn't some obscure thing that just kind of got fell through the cracks this is a major release that got mm-hmm. Oscar buzz and everything uh yeah huh. so I mean it's it's definitely it's definitely a concern um it it's it's really come to a head, I think, with the stuff that happened with Warner and uh, Discovery, right? And and like shows like Westworld, high profile shows being taken off of services for tax breaks, essentially for recovery of revenue. Um, there's all kinds of reasons stuff can go away on streaming. I I, I don't I don't know like that I take a strong stance other than I would like for media to be preserved. And I think it can't be preserved with our current laws and our current uh, legal structure. Right. Other than streaming Congress, making it a national film library and adding it to the archive. Like that's the only thing, the only sure way something won't be forgotten, but right. And so few things are added to that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, Huh. So, well, I, like I said, that's uh, I and I had no idea about the VHS catalog. I thought that there would be a pretty near after so many years, there'd be a very narrow gap between what's available on VHS versus DVD. But it continues to narrow, but because nobody's making VHS anymore, but people are still making DVDs. But yeah, I imagine there's a lot of like direct video shit that like probably no one cares about. Totally. Um, but yeah, like stuff like Cocoon and Mannequin and. Yeah. Has Cocoon not made it to DVD? That's not possible, right? Well, no, I that's about streaming service. I'm sure you can okay, get that okay. on Blu-ray or DVD. But um, Nick from Philly says, as you two stated earlier in the week, it's odd that the Yellow Jackets is taking a week off with no episode being released this weekend. It's peculiar what TV shows have done this more recently and why. Clearly, there's the COVID e- epidemic that really screwed up shooting and delaying TV shows these past few years, but I'm assuming we're past that now. I'm going to go with Occam's Razor on this. The simple solution is almost always the best, meaning the creators Ashley and Bart plus Showtime purposely intended this. Why? You again uh, casually discussed it. It could be for different Mother's Day and Shauna baby reasons. Then this morning I thought that can it be as simple as they want Shauna to give birth to a baby on Mother's Day weekend since she will be a mother? Finally, okay, let's, let's stop there. Only if it's a like so like if they did that it it better be a live fairly uncomplicated birth. I can't yeah. imagine anything worse than giving like just having a horrible House of the Dragon style childbirth 
or a stillborn baby or whatever on Mother's Day. That would be there. There are companies that send out newsletter blasts uh, on Mother's Day that allow you to opt out of seeing future ones for that very reason. It would be pretty insensitive to put on a nationally televised show some horrible birth and and intentionally place it on Mother's Day. I could see if it's like, well, I just didn't think about it, and our regularly scheduled program aired with that in it. But we skipped but a to week. Skip the, a week, yeah. So does that say that the the baby sliding right into the crock pot or being still? <laughs> is that does that mean there's just no way? No, people do horrible ghost things all the time, but I would think <laughs> this company would be smarter than that. Yeah. Who knows? Ugh. Yeah, pay attention. Yeah, if you're feeling fragile, pay attention to the content warnings uh, at the beginning uh-huh. of the episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. If there's BD for baby death, then or what, I don't know what it would... BH for birthing horror. They have to they invent that after last <laughs> season, The House of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe skip it till you're you're feeling stronger. Uh, yeah, your guess is as good as ours. We'll have to see because, like, absolutely the birth is happening the next week. That lines up with Mother's Day, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, that's the last email we had. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the great feedback, theory ideas, Easter eggs, corrections, etc. We really appreciate it. Yellow Jackets is how you send those in to us. And again, we're going to find some way to keep uh, the feedback flowing semi regularly this season. Uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for listening to our podcast. We'll be back. Well, not next week, actually. We'll be back the week after next with a new episode of uh, Yellow Jackets. Uh, really exciting to see what they what they hit us with on Mother's Day. Okay, yellowjacketsofbaldmove.com is how you send feedback. Uh, Twitter.com slash baldmove is our most up-to-date social media if you want to check out our other releases that we've got going all the time. Uh, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy next mm, week yeah. if, you're, if you're looking to, to fill your uh, uh, Yellow Jacket slot with something. And uh, also, if you would like to support us and get ad-free feeds and tons of uh, extra bonus content, please check us out at support.baldmove.com. See how you can join the club Bald Move. That'll do it for this week. One last time, yellowjackets at baldmove.com for future feedback episodes. We'll see you when Yellow Jackets returns. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.